Good evening. Parshas Va'era. So this is our second of two, of uh, really two and a half, of the full-blown focus on Abraham and Sarah, all-time greats, the start of the father of monotheism, the father of the Jewish people, and uh, there's so, so much to learn from these stories. That's the reason they're here. The book of Genesis has very little law. And considering that when God gave us the Torah, it was a book of instructions, that means that all these stories are here to learn from. And there is just so much to learn from them. So let's jump right in. Just as an overall observation of this week's Torah portion, we know that Abraham, Abraham, and really, whenever you say Abraham, it's it's Sarah, Abraham, and obviously there's different parts of different stories, but um, it's clear that they were partners in everything they did. They were on the same page. In fact, many times it says that Sarah was a greater prophet than Abraham. In certain aspects, Abraham was greater. They were an incredible team. They got the job done. But an observation about all the stories that we have with Abraham is, is a tremendous focus on kindness. That's what he's known for. He's known as the pillar of chesed of all time, the pillar of kindness. And this week's parsha, we see, you know, he he had his guests and he was praying for the for everybody. And we learned from the, the story there, visiting the sick, so much of of just the, the storyline. You would think about the you know, the father of monotheism. You think of like this very, very, you know, removed, holy, serious, you know, uh, what's the word they use? Transcendent, like, person who, like, you saw him and, like, you were blinded. And, but we see his, his storyline is, is a very human story. Now, he was certainly far from your average human. He he developed him. He was a, re- a regular human, but he developed himself in a way that made him seem not that way. But he really was a regular human, just like us. But he developed himself into someone who is not just like us. And that, and his storyline is that he just was a person who was with the people, constantly focused on other people, constantly giving, and that's a tremendous, tremendous lesson about you know. I, I would say what maybe is a myth. Or a misnomer about Judaism. Judaism is, we see the very beginning, the, the, the whole thrust here is about kindness, kindness, kindness. And there's, there's no ritual stuff. There's been virtually no detailed mitzvot until after the Exodus. You got a couple here and there. Uh, you know, we learned last week about the commandment to circumcise, but as far as the day to day details of Jewish life, kindness is what we're being. Uh, thrown out here. So I think that's just an important general outlook to, to see from what Hashem is, is uh, the... Remember, this man lived for 175 years. Sarah lived for 127 years. And there's really only a few chapters on them. And the stories that are being chosen to share with us are all about kindness. So it's as far as keeping our priorities straight and what is and where our efforts and focuses need need to be. So let's jump, let's jump right in. So when you think of ki- kindness, you think of peace, you think maybe of truth, even though truth isn't kindness, but you think of a person who the truth 
a, a tr person who cares about the truth, then um, that is synonymous with kindness. Well, there's a very interesting verse here in uh, chapter 18, verse 13. What do we got? Chapter 18, verse 13. A very, we couldn't have made this up. So the storyline goes, basic story. Abraham was recovering from his circumcision and he always had guests and he didn't have any guests. God had made it hot so no guests would come. But he was in war pain because he had no guests. And God sends him the three angels. Three angels come. And one of their jobs um, was to tell Abraham and Sarah that uh, they would have a child because they were kind of old, around 100, and they didn't have a child yet. So one of the angels had told Abraham, you're going to have a child a year from now. After the episode, Hashem appears to Abraham. And what does he say? Then Hashem said to Abraham, why is it that Sarah laughed? Because the storyline goes, when Sarah heard she was 90 years old, they're going to have a baby, she laughed. It's kind of funny. Saying, why did Sarah laugh? Said Hashem to Abraham, shall I in truth bear a child, though I have aged? So Hashem says to Abraham, why? Do you know why your wife laughed? Because she said, I'm old. Now, if you look back earlier, it said, you know what Sarah said when she laughed? She didn't say that, oh, this is funny. I'm a 90-year-old woman. How am I going to have a child? Which actually would be funny, right? She said, my husband is old. Now, mind you, they had wonderful marriage. They were peaceful. They were thoughtful. They were sensitive. But to some degree, it maybe would have hurt a little, little bit. You know? You know, he's after all, he's 100 years old. Why, why, why can't he have a kid? But yet, when Hashem speaks to Avraham, you know what he does? He alters it a little bit. He doesn't say the whole truth. Says little because he why, and we learn from here a massive concept which unfortunately is not known, is not known. And I can't tell you how many situations in my limited exposure to people that I've seen people who didn't learn this and they really hurt themselves. You see that God Himself is teaching us. You're allowed to say things not exactly how they are or be a little bit vague or maybe say a little white lie if the purpose is being, is, excuse me, is, is peace. Sounds kind of, and you know, not so godly to not be true. You think truth at all costs. Your wife my wife asked me, do I look gorgeous in this? My wife always looked gorgeous in it. Let's say it was someone else whose wife wasn't always gorgeous in what she was wearing. <coughs> Excuse me.
Sorry, I'm down the wrong throat. Um, you're not supposed to say exactly how it is. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, they say it exactly how it is. Well, most of the time, that's the right thing. But Hashem is telling us, think, instead of asking yourself, is something true? The question Hashem wants us to ask ourselves is, is it the right thing? And sometimes it's tricky, but most of the time it's pretty clear. So that's the lesson we learned from Avraham. And uh, that's very helpful in any relationship we're in, in family, friends, work. And that's what we learned straight from Hashem. Okay. Next lesson I wanted to focus on was chapter 18, verse 19. So what happens is, is you may have heard, I'm sure you've heard the cities, of Sodom and Amor. There were five cities which were horrible cities, very evil cities. And God decided he wanted to destroy them. They weren't not, it wasn't good for them to be alive, it wasn't good for the world for them to be alive. But then he says, I gotta speak to Abraham first. I can't do this without him. It says, Can I can I do this without talking to Abraham? Which is interesting. God can do whatever he wants. But then it says. It says, why, Torah says why he can't uh, not talk to Abraham. Interesting, it's amazing. Now, Abraham, Torah is telling us why God, quote-unquote, went to Abraham to get permission. It says, for I have loved him. Why do I love him? Look what he says. If you want to be loved, right here. Because he commands his children and his household, meaning himself and anyone he can influence, that they keep the way of Hashem. What is that? Doing charity and justice in order that Hashem might bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken him. What is the defining characteristic? Staka umishpat. Charity and justice. Abraham was the Remember, Abraham was the person who brought God to the world. That's his salient. You would think that that's like, if God loves Abraham, why is he loving him? Because he shared the God with the world. He brought glory to God to the world. But yet, when Hashem is saying, why is he going to Abraham? Why does he feel he must consult with Abraham? Because he is someone who commands his children and his household that they do charity and justice. And... Well, today, I can tell you as a fundraiser, charity in many, many circles is in. But in many circles, it's out. It's not popular. It's not as popular as it was. And part of the reason for that is that, you know, we live in very, in a certain sense, uncertain times. And many people maybe not be as affluent as their parents were. You know, the way, you know, life is cyclical. You know, the, our generally Jews came to America and their parents didn't have money and then they had money. So people had more money than their parents. And then for a number of generations, people generally had money. And now, you know, I meet your, I meet a lot of younger people and, and, I, and it's not, not often that I run into someone in their 20s or 30s who is um, really 
financially comfortable. It's typically uh, people who are not as young. It wasn't always that way. And, and people, uh, when, when things are insecure, you kind of feel, well, I can't, well charity, I, I, I can't do charity. And the message that Hashem is trying to teach us, that charity has to be a part of who we are. That was Avram's salient feature. And it's not, it's not, it's not set aside for the rich. Yes, obviously million-dollar donations are set aside for the rich, and even hundred-dollar donations are set aside for the rich. But as Rambam says, one of the 630 commandments is to give charity. And whatever you can do, it doesn't have to be. I can tell you why I fundraise all the time, and there's this misconception when I call people up or I email or I text or I meet with them. It doesn't really happen so much right now. But the, a lot of times there's a knee-jerk reaction that says, you know, Rabbi, I can't take anything else on. And I'm thinking, I didn't ask you to take me on. I didn't ask you to take me on. I said to make a donation. Whatever it might be, I'll appreciate it. I don't expect it. Whatever you can do. So there's a misconception, and, and I can tell you this happens all the time. There's a misconception that charity is for those with a lot of money. And I can tell you, as a person who's run all types of nonprofits, I've been involved in charity with poor people, helping sick people, helping uh, Jewish education. Obviously, that's my that's my full time. But I've been involved in many things, and 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 it really adds up. It really adds up small donations. And you know, I I don't I don't have any sugar daddy who I call it's for any big problem. Say hey, and they could say hey, you know, you have someone who needs a major surgery. Here's twenty five thousand dollars. I don't have that, but I have a lot of people, and I, it's inspiring when people give. And, and it's not just charity of money. It's certainly charity of money, but it's charity of time, charity of headspace, uh, alone. You know, the story one, so I went to the Chavetz Chaim, the, 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 the great Chavetz Chaim. He was giving a lecture, an inspirational talk, about people have to be, in the mitzvah of the Torah, to lend money. The person's able to, and they believe the person they're lending to is a responsible person, and they can they can um, afford to part with the money for a certain amount of time. There's a mitzvah to lend money. The Zohar came over to the Chavetz Chaim after the talk, and he said, you know, Rabbi, I'm not a wealthy man. And he said, can you put aside, I think it was maybe $5 a week. It was a very small amount. He said, if you put aside money, regularly small amounts you'll see over time you will have a nest egg and that nest egg you could start lending it out and if you keep on doing that over time you'll have and he would turn it into something called the gamach which is a jewish free loan which basically any jewish community has it's a beautiful thing that you can go to a, a jewish organization I, I ran one for a little while um you know that uh, people can borrow money interest-free and anyone could do that uh, he said he she was showing how you could do it. So we, we we don't want to exclude ourselves from this salient feature of Abraham by saying we don't have a certain talents or certain resources. We all can be charitable in in whatever way that we can, and even if it's not grand, it's grand if it's grand for us. And that's uh, the, the uh, second lesson of tonight. Now. Speaking of charity, so we're talking about, so basically, uh, Hashem tells Avraham, we're going to have to kill, get rid of the city unless you can 
put up a good defense for them. So in chapter 18, verse 20, Hashem tells Avram what the problem is. What's the problem? Hashem says, because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah has become great, and because their sin has been very grave. What's the sin? So it says, the sin was that they were not charitable. It was the opposite. They were not charitable. Now, the city of Sodom did many things wrong. It was a horrible place. Horrible things happened there. Cruelty and abuse and, and just murder and just a horrible place. But yet, what's the, what's the feature? They did not do charity. What is so bad about not doing charity? So I saw an explanation. I forgot where I saw it. I'm not sure who says it. But the explanation is like this. The reason that we're charitable, that we're supposed to be charitable, is not because of guilt. It's not because we feel bad, so we respond. That's almost like selfish giving. I mean, listen, it's better to be a selfish giver than, than to not be a giver at all. But, um, but, but so giving charity is, at its core, it's a recognition of I want to be like God. Why? Because everything God does is charity. Charity. God doesn't have owe anyone anything. Everything he does is because he, he wants. He wants, just wants to give. And if I don't want to be charitable, in a certain sense, I am ignoring and not recognizing the fact that God is charitable with me. Because when a person, most people, when they, when they receive something, there's a natural um, inclination to respond in kind. So if a person feels that generosity, that charity from God, they'll be charitable in turn. But if a person is not being charity, you kind of play it back, then that person may not, may be totally oblivious and totally um, have a lack of gratitude, a lack of recognition for, um, for the charity of God. And that's why how bad it was, because this was a sign the fact that there was no charity going on in an entire city was a sign there was a lack of awareness of God in their lives. And it's interesting. I remember one time I, you know, I'm still a young guy, but one time I asked a great rabbi for uh, advice about how to deal with a certain situation. And it was, I still remember, it was just such a good piece of advice. He said, you know what? you clearly are not aware of all the facts on the table in this situation. Because if you would be aware of all the realities of all the people involved, then you, would, you wouldn't even be asking this question. You clearly don't have an awareness of what's going on in this situation. And that, I think, was a very smart thing. A lot of times, we, uh, we, won't, we, we don't react... Not because we don't agree or have a certain sensitivity, because we just don't have all the facts on the table. We don't have a recognition there. And that's a thing that we're, that we're learning from here, that 
sometimes you see something and if with enough life experience, you talk to people who've been around for a while, been through life, they can see tendencies. And here you see someone who's not charitable, a good chance they're not recognizing God. Okay, moving along. So here you have Abraham, whose hallmark was charity. God comes to him and says, I think we should kill out these cities. There's no charity there. There's no good there. And what does Abraham do? Abraham goes not, spends a lot of time. Now, in the Torah, verse is tremendously important. The Torah spends a, almost a whole chapter of Abraham negotiating with Hashem. He says, well, God, you know, maybe you could save them if there's a, a, a 10 people in each city who are worthy. Or And he goes down to 45, 40, and goes all the way down to 10 and after 10. And God keeps looking and he sees there's nothing, it, 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 there, there's not there. But what do you see? I think this is beyond important uh, today, very much today with today's current events. We're all aware of the current events. That, and unfortunately, I've seen some posts from people who I know are good people, just they're not thinking they're out of their right mind right now. And, and it's so not what Hashem wants. Because what is Hashem showing us? Even if someone is dead wrong, Someone is acting in a horrible way. People in Sodom were horrible people. They did very, very bad things. They raped people. They murdered people. They were not kind. They were just, it was just a very bad place. But yet, just because someone does something very bad doesn't make them necessarily, and this is pretty bad. I think the people that we know, we will drag there, are not as bad as these people as a rule. Um, he prayed for them and he cared about them. When you see someone who you think is very wrong or doing things really evil, there are exceptions. There is a place in the Torah where, where, where you, you don't, there, there is misplaced mercy. But for the vast, vast, vast majority of people that we know and probably all the people that we know personally, um, the, the right reaction, as difficult as it might be, is to pray and care for them. And, 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 and if we're actually able to move off our, of our ego a little bit, we actually will see that. This person is in pain. This person is underprivileged. And thank God I never had this, ex I had this experience with someone who I was in school with. And unfortunately, he uh, had a really difficult Thing in his life happened to him and he had left school for a few months to deal with it and then when he came back I was at that point a kind of person I was a pretty easygoing guy still try to be but then I was probably even more easygoing I didn't have much responsibility and this person verbally was mean to me and mean to me and so not nice and I was very nice but it was so clear to me that this person was in so much pain, pain that I would never wish on anybody. And I, I, I think I never had. And that's, that's really what we learned from Abraham. The reaction when we see someone who thinks very differently than us, who acts very differently than us, 
who does or acts or says something which we think is bad for us, bad for the world, the reaction is not to be mean to that person or to wish something bad on that person. The proper reaction is to care and pray for that person. Doesn't mean you have to agree. Doesn't mean you support. It doesn't mean you condone. It means you care and you pray. And that's the way the world works. And we see that from Abraham. Moving along. Next story. We could literally spend hours and hours on all these stories. So much interesting and, and good lessons. But here we have chapter 20. Chapter 20 is Abraham uh, traveling around it around, and he ends up in a place called Gror. Now, this is the second time where Avram ends up in a place. Uh, he's nervous about his life because of his beautiful wife. And the same tactic he did in last week's portion when uh, he went to the border by Egypt and he told uh, Sarah to tell, say that Avram and Sarah were sisters. So they kind of do the similar thing again, same thing again. And this time, again, the king of this place, Gor Abimelech, gets in trouble with God. And the next day, he confronts Avraham. And he says, Avraham, why'd you lie to me? What were you scared of? And in verse 11, this is something which I would say is not so politically correct, but it's correct because it comes from God. Um, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 11. Abraham responds. He says to, Gore, to the king, you know why I had to lie or I had to do a, a little bit of a fib? Because I said to myself, there is but no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Whoa. That's a real jump. It's a jump. Right? It says... I was scared you're going to kill me. No, because you didn't believe it. There was no fear of God in this place. They will kill me. So it doesn't ha necessarily happen right away. But where there's no fear of God, murder is on the way. Because God means there is someone to hold you accountable. There's objective truth, objective reality, objective right and wrong. And once you take God out of the picture, someone can even justify murder. And in fact, we see this in our own eyes. There are people today who are willing to kill other people. And, 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 and there's a very clear study, a very, very clear connection with the level of lack. Now, you know, obviously, I believe in Judaism. I don't believe in other religions. But the even if a religion is not, let's say, it's not true, but if you profess that there's a God, you profess that there's an objective reality, religion, religion is out now. And we're seeing an uptick in violence. Communism was, was atheist. Nazi, they were atheist. When there is a, in, 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 in Rome, they, 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 they were not, not, not an absolute God. And we're seeing that today. There's a tremendous uptick in, uh, in lack of belief in God, lack of belief in God and God's involvement. And we're seeing that uh, horrible things are happening. 
and a lack of morality in the world. And we learned this back from Abraham, that when there's a lack of fear of God, uh, murder is on the way. And it's a scary thing. But you saw it here. So what do you do? You want good things in the world? We, we got to spread God. God's not a bad word. Um, nothing to be embarrassed about. If you say, you know, uh, not to judge someone if you, they, they don't believe in God. But it's, it's an important thing. Okay. So continuing in the story over here. So again, this is incredible. This man had an affair with Abraham's wife. And he probably knew more or less what was going on. Like Abraham said, you know, there's a reason I lied. What happens then? So now I, God punished the whole house there. And then verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 14, God basically tells Havimelech, you know what you need? You need Abraham to pray for you. And Abraham, Abraham prays. Abraham prays by Ispalel Abramelokim. And Abraham prayed to God that he should heal this person. And Hashem uh, responded. So not only do we care about and pray about people who do things wrong, we care and we pray about people who hurt us. Who hurt us. Isn't that incredible? It means we got to forgive. If someone hurts you, we actually are obligated to work it through and get to the point where we forgive them. We're not allowed to not forgive someone. Yes, there are extreme, extreme circumstances. I'm not talking about those. We're talking about an average situation, or even more than average situation, we learn from Abraham that you're supposed to forgive. And this is a pretty bad thing. Don't stole his wife. Moving along. At the end of this week's Parsha, we have the famous, one of the most famous, hard-to-understand stories, the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. Abram spent a good part of his life fighting the horrible trend in the world, world called Molech. Molech was, they had this metal idol, which was burning hot, and people would take their children and bring them to the idol. Abraham campaigned against it. He fought, he said, this is horrible, this is not what the world's for, this is evil, this is not spiritual. And then... What does Abraham do? God asks him to sacrifice his own son. Which would mean he would be the ultimate hypocrite. Everything, his life's work, when he is put to the test, he doesn't do it. And besides that, Abraham was the kindest manager. We've been talking about Paul Parsh. He was the kindest, most generous person perhaps ever. And God asks him, to sacrifice his child. Abraham does it willingly. He accepts it. He gets all into it. We know in the end it was a test and God told him to stop. He didn't do it. But 
after the episode, Hashem says, now I know that you are a person who fears God. Now, until now, you didn't know. There's a whole life here, a whole career. And all the commentators say that you don't really see who someone really is until they go against their nature. When a person is able to do something that's right, but it goes against every fat fabric in their body, that's when you see what they're made of. What are you made of? Right? If you see someone who's a calm, gentle, peace-loving person, and they is a situation that calls for it, and they have nerves of iron, you see who the kind of strength they really are. They're not just a person who goes with the flow, goes with their emotions. They're a very passionate, sincere person. And you see this with people. You can see people who usually are very quiet, who get loud, who are very loud, who get quiet and energetic, who get there's so many different things. But that's so sometimes in life we may get frustrated and want to um you know get frustrated with situations that are difficult for us. But that's exactly when we're when, when God is trying to bring out our potential. Show show ourselves who we really are. Show God who we are. And that's what happened in this story. That's why it was a defining moment for him. A few more uh, little tidbits. So back to the beginning of the story of, of the Parsha. So Avram, when these three angels went first, Avram didn't realize they were angels. Eventually, obviously, he did realize. And what happens is, is uh, he, he they prepare um, all types of delicacies, meats and who knows baked goods and what's one of the things that it says it says Abraham told his child I believe it was to get mustard from the fridge you think of a regal very spiritual man a couple such as Abraham and Sarah you don't think of mustard you know, and actually, when I was a kid, they had that commercial Grey Poupon. But you don't think of French's, uh, you know, you know, give me some ketchup and mustard for the king of one of the kings of the most regal people in the world. But that summarizes Abraham. You know, because there's a story. A man, you know, like like most couples, you start out romantic, you're in, in, infatuated with each other. And then life kicks in, and he's not such a pretty charming. She's not such a such not, not such a Cinderella. And one time, a man came to his his he went to a mentor, a therapist, whatever it was. He said, "You know, I married this wonderful, kind woman, and she's not the same person. She's just not. She's a witch." <laughs> it's just true story. Actually, it was a great rabbi that he went to. Rabbi Palm. Rabbi Palm is a very calm, reserved, like never get him angry, never get him riled up. He says to him, you know what? And it's your fault. You turned her into a witch. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, because you weren't a good husband. When she needed you, you didn't, we weren't there. When she didn't need you, you weren't there. So ultimately, you turned her into a witch. It's your fault. 
And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? He's this busy, important guy in the community and his profession. He's like, you know, I come home and she wants me to deal with all these house things, kids things, and technical stuff. I mean, I'm an important, he didn't say he's an important guy, but that's clearly, he's like, he's like, you know what? You know what the real definition of an important person is? A person who's able to be who they're supposed to be to everyone at the right time. Abraham had his head in the clouds. He was an amazing person. He was one of the loftiest individuals to ever cross the planet. But you know what he had in his fridge? He had mustard. Because he had guests who came of all types and stripes. And he wanted everyone to feel comfortable. He wanted the guy who wanted his hot dog with mustard. He's not going to give him ribeye steak. He's not going to appreciate it. He wants his hot dog and sauerkraut and relish and mustard. And, and, and so how do you deal with that, though? So the way, when it, you know, obviously you're going to interact with people who aren't as great as you, and everyone has different things they're good at. And how do you deal with people who aren't as good as you in that department? And, and inevitably, you have, you know, friends, family, people in the workplace. Everyone's got strengths, things they're better at. So what's the appropriate way? We learned from Abraham, there's two, two appropriate uh, ways of dealing with that. One is to bring them up to you in a non-pressuring way. You can raise people up. Sports, we know it's like that. You put in a great player. A great player is a great player besides being very talented on his own, but he raises everyone else's level. And we have that with personalities also. If I am careful about, let's say, being very sensitive and very thoughtful, so when I'm interacting with someone who's not as thoughtful as me, so what I got to do is I kind of I got to be the influence, a non non overbearing influence. The other way is in some situations, this is not to lower your own level, but sometimes you go down, you go down. Not that you lower your level, but you you interact with people on a much uh, could be much less mature level than you, much less spiritually sensitive level than you but that's your job as someone great and that's greatness you know when you're a teenager you kind of think to yourself oh i don't want to be seen with that person they're 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 not cool but when you get older a little bit you realize that actually those are the coolest people the coolest people are the people who can hang out with anybody and it doesn't affect them it actually brings out they're even more special because like they're happy to be with anybody and that's what we learned from Avram. Avram was happy to be with everybody, and he wanted to make everyone comfortable. Now, we have two stories in this week's Parsha. Two stories about having guests. One we've just been discussing, and the other is a little more infamous, where the angels, two of the angels, go from Avraham's holy tent to go to the city of Sodom. They were going to destroy the city of Sodom, and save in Abraham's merit, Abraham's nephew and his family, Lot. Lot, who lived in Abraham's house, was tremendously influenced by Abraham, and he very much valued, in contrast to the rest of the city, and this is partially why he was saved, he valued kindness. He valued having guests. So it's a really big story. He, you know, Abraham, no, he didn't get adversity, really, to his, his uh, interest in having guests. But Lot did. It was a capital offense to have guests. And in fact, when he has the guests, 
you know what happens is? What happens is, is he... He gets attacked. Word gets out that he has guests and there's a mob that comes out of his house. So, we should learn from that. But yet, we're supposed to learn from Avram. Why, why are we not really interested in learning from Lot? Seems to be pretty important to him to have guests. And there's a story that brings out the answer. There's a story, a great rabbi, he wants, you know, great, great, great rabbis in Europe used to do this. He used to sometimes go on a low profile. And with him, a particularly great rabbi, a famous rabbi, he kind of went undercover, went to a town as a poor man, looking for a place to stay and eat. And uh, with a very wealthy man, um, turned him down. And uh, he had to go somewhere else to some simple person's house. A few months later, the great rabbi came with his whole entourage, big chariot and horses. And the big, he comes to town. And here's the big rabbi is here. Now, earlier, this person had not realized the great rabbi was there. And when the great rabbi says he's this big, wealthy, important guy, he comes and he says, oh, I would love to have the honor of having you at my, our house. Okay. He basically, in a certain sense, gives off the impression that he agrees. They go to get go to go find their place to stay. He tells his attendant, I would like you to bring my chariot and horses to that rich man's house. And then I'm going to go eat at the place we went to last time. That simple guy. Hour later, the rich man comes running and he finds the great rabbi. He's upset. He says, I don't understand. What kind of business is this? You sent your horses to me. You said you're going to come. And the rabbi looked at him and he said, you know what? You weren't interested in helping me. I was here three months ago. What's the only difference between a few months ago and now? My horses are here. So you clearly want to honor my horses. When Avram Hum did his kindness, it was about the other person. What can I do to give the other person? What, what's best for them? It wasn't about feeling good. It wasn't about honor. It wasn't what that's fun. Lot, if you look at the story, it's very clear. Lot, when he realized that these were important guests, these were angels, so he wanted the honor and the privilege and the enjoyment and the pleasure of having those guests. Now, it still was a good thing to have guests. But that's not the kindness that we're out to emulate. And not only that, you kind of see it, that it's very skewed. Because what happens is, is, is these, this mob comes to Lot, and Lot goes to the door. And he wants to realize the mob is going to break in, and who knows what's going to happen. But you know what happens? He says, I got two daughters here. Take my daughters. Do to them what you please. They were going to hurt them. Sexually or physically. And just don't bother the guests. And it's such a backwards um, morality. <clears throat> and that's what can happen when a person has mis misappropriate priorities, misappropriate kindness. A person can try to do one good thing. And the reason we always say there's something called the Mishkal HaChasidus the weighing of proper actions. Whenever you do something, you have to look and see, hey, is this really truly a good thing? Is there going to be a bad outcome from this or is there a cost here? 
two more short ideas, then we'll do a quick review. In Ethics of the Fathers, we, we actually learned this uh, when we were learning Ethics of the Fathers. It says that what is, it was talk, talks about different types of personalities, different kinds of ways of life. And one of them it describes as the character traits of the people of this city, the people of Sodom. There's two different opinions. One of the opinions is that the character trait of a person who is a stone-type person, an evil person, a person of low character, is a person who says what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Commentaries ask on the surface, what's so bad? It's mine is mine, it's yours is yours, live and let live. Says that's horrible. If everyone is laser focused and set, what you take care of you, I take care of me. I don't think about you. You don't think about me. That's that's horrible. That's not neutral. That's not parv. Parv is for is for food. There's no such thing. People need to think about other people. You need to give me to think about the people. It can't just be what's mine is mine and yours is yours. There needs to be, you know, that's something we try to teach our kids. You know, they want to say it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Now there's a healthy survival instinct that's there, but we teach them no, you, you can't, you can't just say something. You can't never share your things. Something doesn't belong to you to never share it. And that that's wrong. And that, unfortunately, today it's in the water that no, it, that, that that's a that's a person's right to say something is theirs and not someone else's. But technically speaking, if you don't let it go, it is stealing, but that's not the way. One last lesson, and then we'll do our quick review. So we discussed before the uh, bargaining that, that Abraham did with Hashem. What's the, what's the bargaining? He says, he says, well, you know, save the five cities. Maybe there's a minion in, the, in each city. Now think about it for a second. What's Abraham thinking? Imagine you have, take New York, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Chicago, and Miami. Let's say cities of those size. And you would say the cities are horrible. Let's see if there's 10 good men in each city. Now, how is having 10 good men men, women, whoever it is, 10 good people in each city, how does that make the whole city worthy of, of being saved? It doesn't make any sense. That's not justice. God isn't this pushover. God doesn't make decisions emotionally. If the, if the, if, if all the millions of people are, are deserving, okay, so save the 10. But it's clear from the negotiations that Abraham is having with God that God agrees to Abraham that if there is a certain amount of good people, then everyone gets saved. And that doesn't seem to be a fair thing. It seems to be a, a, a very, very uh, not justice-based. God is, 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 is justice-based. So one understanding is you see how great a person is, how powerful certainly a group effort is. I know after, I believe it was 19 people that were involved in the, in the directly involved in the, um, Twin Towers in 9-11. And many people were saying, after you see how much horrible can happen, what kind of catastrophe can happen when you have 19 people who are single-focused. Imagine if you, you said you have 19 people would get together and focus for the good. 
And that's what that, that's the lesson that Abraham suggested, quote unquote, to Hashem. And Hashem said, You're right. If you could have a minion, you can have 10 good people in each city. Of course, we're not going to let these people off the hook. But then there's a chance. Because the reason why God was going to destroy the cities was not because God gives people a second chance. Of course, He does. He gives us endless chances. But when there's no hope anymore, God says, I'm not helping anybody. I'm not helping them. I'm not helping the world. But the, the, so the deal was if there are 10 people, then there is hope. So that is a very empowering thing. Person shouldn't think, oh, what can I do? What can I do? You could do a lot. You do it. If you do everything you can do, it's incredible what you can accomplish. It's a famous story with uh, by Dr. A.J. Tversky, you know, famous, renowned, uh, for, uh, he's an addiction specialist, great rabbi, prolific author. So um, one time he, uh, he said, you know, if I kept Shabbos the way I could, the whole Pittsburgh, which where he lived at the time, would be keeping Shabbos. You know, just that's the way the world works. If you do the best you can do, amazing, amazing things happen. I'm sure we could think of many people that, that many famous people, many not so so famous people. A one, one, every single human being, and you don't have to have this big, uh, you know, uh, charismatic or or prolific uh, Rolodex. Everyone, given their own personality, their own special strengths can accomplish amazing, amazing things. And anyone who knows people, you, you can meet an older person, a younger person, so on, and you see, wow, this person is just, maybe the whole world is, is living on this person's shoulders. Uh, I, I know many people like that. I'm sure we've all met people. Sometimes we don't notice those, those, those people. But that's what we learned from Abraham. You don't need that many people to pick everybody up. I mean, I'm sure I, I, I know uh, you can be sometimes in the study hall, and everyone is, you know, a little, it's, you know, it's dead of winter, and a little, feeling a little blah. You have one guy who's, you see, he's studying and he's getting into it, and that could inspire the whole place. You know, I guess this is where I come in. You go to, I've gone to a wedding. You go to a bar mitzvah, and everyone is sitting there just pressing. No one is, uh, you could have, you could have someone come in and you start to get energy in the room, and before you know it, the whole place is on fire. Right, so this uh, everyone in their own own quiet or special way can do this. So, quick review here. Again, there's so much in this week's parsha. Just a few uh, lessons to take home. The first point is the overall look is the message of Abraham is kindness, 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 kindness. It's just oh, that the overall there's so little on his, you know, the fact that he was the father of monotheism. So that's an important. But you see what what's important to Hashem. The second thing we said that about lying for peace, that wouldn't necessarily focus on the word lying, but being smart and not necessarily having to say everything all the But full disclosure is not always a good idea. And we learned we learn from the Chavetz Chaim. The question to ask yourself is not, is this true, but is this the right thing to say? And usually, if you're honest with yourself, you, you can answer that question. Is this the right thing to say or is it not the right thing to say? And then you might say, well, it's not true. It's like, is it right? You can say it's right or wrong. Then we talked about how you see it, the salient feature of Abraham that made Hashem go and ask Abraham's quote-unquote permission to destroy the five cities was because Abraham was a person who did staka. He was a person who did charity. And charity is not reserved for the rich. Charity is not reserved for the, for the, for the well-connected. Everyone 
and with all their talents and resources can give charity, however big, wherever small it is. If it's what you can do, then it's big. We see on the, on the flip of that, that the main sin that was the reason why Sodom and the other cities were worthy of being destroyed was because they didn't do Tzedakah. And what's so horrible about not doing tzedakah? Because when you don't do tzedakah, you're not recognizing Hashem. Because everything Hashem does is tzedakah. You didn't have to do it. And, and if a person never does things that they don't, quote, have to do, that means they don't recognize that Hashem does that for them. Because people do what the way that they perceive that they're treated. So charity, we know, is, is one of the most uh, important uh, midos of the, of, 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 of the Jewish people. We learned how the response to people who, who are evil, I guess, of course, there's exceptions. If someone is really, really evil, we're not talking about Saddam Hussein. We're not talking about Hitler. God forbid, we're not talking about uh, there's such thing as misplaced mercy. But the, anyone who we know, the vast, vast majority of people that we know, probably all the people that we know, were not as bad as the people in Saddam. And we see that Abraham prayed for them. He cared about them. So when you see someone who does something wrong, even if it's affecting the world, they have a horrible opinion, in your opinion. The right reaction we see from Abram is not only to care about them, but is to uh, daven for them. We learn from Abraham that what does he say when, he, when he's confronted why he told the king that his sorrow was his sister, not his wife? Was, he said, I was nervous because there's no fear of God here. I'm going to be killed. Seems kind of extreme, but we see today... And we see throughout history when there's a general lack of God's awareness and there's atheism, not saying any person who's an atheist is a murderer, but as a rule, when God is out of the picture, when there's objective reality out of the picture, when the checks and balances are out of the picture, bad things can happen. And, and, and we have to do our part to uh, that, that, that that shouldn't happen. We learn from Avram what happens. This guy had an affair with Avram's wife. Um, the, the king says to God, I want to get better. What does Hashem tell him? Go ask Abraham to pray for you. Is that crazy? Think about that. This person has had, stole your wife, and he, your, Hashem says, go to him and ask him to daven for you. And that's when we see the reaction when someone hurts you. You're supposed to try to forgive, not only forgive, you're supposed to care. You see, there's so many stories you have with our great, with great, great people where they were able to to uh, to do this. Now, it's hard. These are all things to work towards. I don't really expect us to do these things overnight. And then the um, the story of the Akedah, the binding, what's the big lesson we learned from there? A big lesson we learned from there is that the test was Hashem allowed Avram to bring in out into the open his potential of going against his character. That's when a person shows who they really are when they go against their nature, if a person is an easygoing person and a situation calls for being easygoing, big deal. If a person uh, is very organized and a situation calls to be organized, big deal. But when a situation calls for you to be not organized and that goes against your nature, that shows that, that your you're strength of character. We learned about the lesson of the mustard. Abraham, one of the regal, the the uh, aristocrat of the world, Avhamon Goyim, he had mustard in his fridge. Why does he have mustard in his fridge? Because maybe there was someone who comes who wants his Franks 
with relish, sauerkraut, and mustard. So you see a great person is, is a person who uh, he knows how to get down with people. Yeah, you know, great. I can tell you, the, the, my teachers who I, uh, and, and older, you know, Talmudic students who I probably learned from for the most were the people who maybe, uh, you know, they came down to your level. Doesn't mean they lowered themselves, but in a sense, they, 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 they lowered yourself. So we learned from Abraham that a great person is not someone who stays up in the clouds. Either they bring people up to them or, you go, or they go down to the other people. We learned about why we learn from the story. There's two big guest stories. Why don't we learn everyone, all the projects this week and all the kids in kindergartens all over the world is about Abraham's tent. Why don't we have Lot's tent? Lot risked his life. Abraham, we never find that Abraham risked his life for guests. Lot risked his life for guests. But we said because if you look in the wording in the Pusik, Abraham, he was thinking about the other person. He, he if, if they're... You know, some idol worshiper who, who some dirty, uh, you know, so smelly person, he's happy to have them. Lot took these people and he saw they were angels and he, he invited them in. And we also saw his priorities were skewed because he threw his daughters out on the street and just to take care of the guests. And of course, that's a big lesson about having guests. I can tell you as someone who's had many guests o- over the years and hopefully will be able to have many, many uh, of our guests we used to have hopefully very soon family and friends, and, um, but obviously the question is, you know, how is it affecting your family? You know, uh, if, you know, if it's affecting a family in an adverse way, I can tell you with us over the years, we're not perfect, but we try, depending on our kids, uh, our, who we have as guests and how many guests we have and when we have guests has gone up and down. You know, some kids love the guests, some kids hate the guests, some kids only like certain guests, so uh, we, learned, we learned from Lowe to, to have a priority straight. Uh, lastly, uh, oh, she did the, the last two points, we learned that the, in Ethics of the Fathers, it says, what is the characteristic of the city of stone? People who said, well, yours is yours, is mine is mine, sounds nice, but not live and let live. You can't live and let live. You got to be thinking about other people. Otherwise, it's really bad. And lastly, we said that anyone, even 10 people in a big city can raise up a city and uh, we can just keep, it's, it's worthwhile to read through um, all the stories now. There's so much to learn from them. In such a crazy world, we can actually see the way you're supposed to think, the way you're supposed to react. And they should have a beautiful Shabbos. This week is the Shabbos project and uh, share it, do whatever you can do. Shabbos is our, is our hidden, is our, our special gift from Hashem. Have a great Shabbos.